Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Dwell, a Cersei Institute podcast for homeschool moms by homeschool moms. I'm Emily Hill, and joining me are Karen Kern and Renee Mathis. Hey, ladies. Hello. Good afternoon. All right. So in our last episode, we talked about the power and purpose of story. And we mentioned fairy tales as well as a pretty good list of other classic stories that are formational to our children as well as ourselves. And even the simple work of reading aloud these great books is enough foundation for any young person. These living books, they teach us how to be human without being preachy. And they bring up these big questions that every person instinctively asks and wants answered. The stories are powerful and they should be a part of our curriculum and not just for instruction, but for enjoyment too. And honestly, a good story can't separate those two. But there's... Another aspect of storytelling that as homeschoolers, we don't always weave into our everyday lives. When we sit down at the beginning of the year to plan out our book lists and curriculum, these stories don't usually make it onto the agenda. And perhaps this is because there's a way of storytelling that is a way of life. For thousands of years, stories have been passed down from generation to generation. The cultural heritage of a people and nation is only as strong as the stories it offers those who come next. And over and over again, our Lord himself tells us, remember, remember, remember what God has done for you. Remember that you are his people. Remember your history. Remember your stories. Even thousands of years before writing became an everyday skill and the printing press was nowhere on the horizon, Humans preserved their identity and they taught the young and found fun and entertainment in sharing stories. Sometimes the stories were of the supernatural, but sometimes they were simply a reminiscing of days gone by. And both of these 
serve to connect and keep people and places together. Times haven't changed. So today we just want to have a conversation of what does this look like now? Like what does storytelling look like in our own families? So I'll throw that question out there to you ladies. Why are family stories or cultural remembering, why is that important? And what does it do for a family and a people? I'll start. Um, I have this little magnet on my refrigerator. I'm looking at it right now. And it says, home is where your story begins. And I love that little saying because it reminds us that, you know, as we're teaching our children and getting them used to what it means to be a Mathis or a Kern or a Hill, that's one little small group that they can learn to function and live within. Um, of course, we want them to learn what it means to be an American or what it means to be a Christian. And those are big groups. It's always fun to start in your own home. It's this little small group of people and you live with and interact with every single day. And anywhere you have people bumping up against each other, you're going to have conflicts. You're going to have happy things and sad things. And all of those are ingredients that make for great stories. And God has put us in each one of these homes, not by accident, but with a plan and a purpose. And as we live our lives, we get to watch that story unfold. And I think that the telling of the stories in our family reinforces the fact that we belong to each other. We are this group of people who live together, as you said, um, happy things happen, sad things happen, but we belong to each other. And when children hear their stories, it's really fun, first of all, to, for the kids to say, tell me again about, about when I was born. Um, even my granddaughter, Serafina, who is three, loves to look at my phone and she'll, she'll say, show me, show me the pictures of the day I was born. Because she knows in, in her little three-year-old mind that it really matters the, the day that she came into our family. And in the same way, you know, even the grown-up children enjoy the stories of when they were born, even if they kind of act like they're sick of hearing the story. You know, mom's going to tell the same story. Here she goes. Um, but there's so much joy in remembering that we belong together and that our stories fit us together and make us who we are. So it seems there's these circles then, because Renee, you mentioned this, that there, there's the stories, there's the stories of a nation, and these are stories we share in history, right? I mean, here's the stories of George Washington or the founding fathers and that we are Americans. This is who we are. And we memorize the Pledge of Allegiance and that there's like there's a national storytelling and even a, a local storytelling. And you really see this. You really see this in the South more Renee, you probably can really speak of this, like those Southerners, like they have like a local story um, to people and place. And, you know, they've been in that county forever. Us Westerners, we have a little bit looser connection with our stories here in the West. It's just, we're all like so free spirited and that's an, a different story. But then as you go in on those circles, that Here's national and local and family. And I love what you said, Karen, like, these are my people. Like, this is where I belong. And that birth story, I think that's fascinating. You would bring that up of how important a person's birth is. 
I totally did that. Like when I was a kid, every single, it's, it's like a humorous story in my family now, because every single year on my birthday, I had a really traumatic birth story and almost died. And it's like this whole story. And so every year on my birthday, I would go into my mom's room early in the morning. I'm like, good morning, mom. Tell me about when I was born. And she always had this line of the doctor came in, Mrs. Nelson, you have a baby girl and she's very, very sick and whatever, almost 40 years later. I remember this. So how did you all like encourage that storytelling in your home? Did it just come about or was it intentional or? I just feel like it happened so naturally. Like it wasn't like, okay, everybody gather around. I'm going to tell you stories about yourselves. It was more when a memory came up, when somebody had a question, so many questions like, Mom, remember when all three of us had chicken box at the same time? Like that was after we were on that ferry boat across Lake Michigan, right? And they don't remember it because they were only one, two, and three. But but those kinds of stories they get told over and over again. And then some minor detail is forgotten. And so they have to ask the question again to get the facts right. And surprisingly, they often got some of the facts wrong. Like even stories, you know, from, wait, did we live in... Green Bay or did we live in Idaho? And somebody will say something and I'll say, no, we didn't actually live there. We lived here. And so often it just comes up so naturally in reference to something else where we have to tell the story again to get it right or somebody has a question. And and I think another thing that's helpful for storytelling is you have to, it sounds easy, but you have to be in the same place together, right? So you have to eat dinner together. Right. You have to be physically proximally, whatever that word is, um, near one another so that you can share, well, what was a funny thing that happened to you today? Or what's the, what's the best thing you learned today? Or tell me something, um, you know, um, surprising that you found out today. But you, you really have to physically be with one another to encourage those kinds of conversations. So eating together, traveling together, being on vacation together, doing things together as a family all helps give you um, material, material to work with, right? I mean, we had, you know, five kids, seven people in one place, we're going to have something funny happen. And the other thing that this was something that happened around my mom and dad's dinner table. So when, when we would come here to visit mama and papa, they had one of those rotating picture screensavers, and you never knew what picture was going to come up on the screensaver. And so kids would, you know, we'd just be sitting there eating dinner, and then all of a sudden, oh, here comes a picture, and we had to stop and talk about it. And, and that was a lot of fun because it, it raised um, a lot of questions and it gave us a lot of material to work with, and, and it was fun. And, of course, you know, oh, here comes that cute picture of this grandchild or that grandchild. And so, you know, having things around you that kind of spark, serve as a prompt, if you want to use an educational word, <laughs> for, for telling stories is a lot of fun. Well, and then that's part of that practice of remembering and how it can just, in some ways, dare I say, like be organic, that it's not like, okay, now we're going to remember. But there are those times as well. Actually, my husband does this and I love this. Um, we'll have like a family story night. Um, so usually sometime around our anniversary, our wedding anniversary, he'll be like, okay, guys, at dinner tonight, we're going to tell you stories of before you were born, of our time in California or how we met. And I I think every kid should know the story of how their parents met. And often it seems, it can seem either very romantic to them or very unromantic to them. It doesn't matter. Um, 
So I didn't, you know, my husband came up with that idea of like family story night. It's very spur of the moment. He's a super spontaneous person. So it's not like on the 5th of July, we have family story night, but like tonight's a good night. Let's share these stories. Um, and traditions encourage that as well. Do you guys have any like family traditions that encourage storytelling, whether it's like birthdays or feasts or the church calendar or whatever? Do you have any family traditions that spark those stories? I can't think of any traditions other than probably their birthdays. When Katie was born and the doctor said, you've got yourself a little girl. Because we didn't know she was going to be a girl. We didn't do all the ultrasounds back then. So those kind, kinds of storytelling that go on on special occasions like Christmas and birthdays, going camping. You know, when you're sitting around a campfire, you've got the time and the inclination to just sit there and watch the, watch the fire and tell stories. And of course, when it rains when you're camping, you have a lot of material for stories later in the years to come. Remember when we went camping and it rained all the time? Why is it that you remember those, the, like when things go wrong, however many years later, those are the things that you remember with <laughs> somehow some sort of like nostalgia. Yeah. Like with comedy, right? No, you have to laugh because it was such a horrible story. I mean, I remember <laughs> was a time we had all the kids in one little hotel room and everyone got the stomach flu on vacation. It was awful. It was awful. But what do you do later? You have to find something funny about it. <laughs> or you have to find, you know, some, some way to spin this thing. And sometimes you just say, remember that awful vacation when everyone got sick. <laughs> yeah, you know, pain, pain and conflict are great storytelling material. <laughs> and I think it's because they, they create a memory that you can't forget. You know, there are a lot of difficult things that you just don't remember. You can't, you can't forget. So like, for example, we don't forget when you're driving across Montana and we got a flat tire and you know, how many hours that delayed us on our trip. And that is not something that you want to say, Oh, hopefully we'll get a flat tire when we drive across Montana. Wouldn't that be fun? But that's the thing that we remember one of the things. And it does communicate a togetherness. It's like, there's this, camaraderie of soldiers, right? Like when you're in the field together, when you're in the trenches together, um, there's actually something very, very unique to the military in that, that these people stay connected until the end of their days because they did something hard together. Like they created um, this like band of brothers, right? And families are like that in that it's the highs and the lows together and right. Like you just, you think of soldiers sitting around and like telling their war stories. It's the same with families. Like we sit around and tell our war stories. Remember that time. I mean, the three of us could literally talk for hours about remember when this happened, remember when that happened and those listening, I'm sure it's like sparking that in your mind too, <laughs> of all the dreadful vacations you took that you're remembering right now. Um, and it makes you feel connected. And what is it about that family connectedness and identity. And so Karen, even to you, I know that in your neck of the woods, like being a Kern is a big deal, right? Oh, the Kerns. And I'm always intrigued by that. My husband's family is actually the same way. Um, it's a farming family and their last name is Alfin. And they're like, oh, to be an Alfin, that's, that's a big deal. That's something. Why, like, why do you think that is? Did, like, is that something you, well, it's kind of funny to me and probably the the better that people get to know us, the less they're like, oh, I wish I was a <laughs> um, But um, 
It's probably because our work is so connected to who we are and because all of our kids have worked in the quote, the family business. Um, even back in the days when it was really hard and we really didn't have any money and they were working for free. They, Larissa was packing up um, lost tools of writing in massive boxes and putting them in the car and taking them to the post office all by herself. Every week she was doing this so that the post office people got to know her. And she was just doing it because she had to, because we didn't have any other stuff. And if she wanted to eat dinner, she was going to have to do that. So it's so much part about who we are, like a farming family. Um, and so I, I suppose that that's, that's the reason is that Cersei is so much us. And, and yet at the same time, it's not because we have so many, so many people working all around the country for us that aren't Kerns. And that's amazing. That's wonderful. That's the best thing is that we have so many people in our community that we love and that are like family to us. And, um, and I am so, so grateful for that, for that extended family that we have all over the country. It's inviting others into a good work. I think that creates a narrative. That's a family story of sticking together. Like we're in this, like we literally are in this together and doing a good work. Um, Thank you you for being in it with us. And this, I I think back to what you were saying at the beginning, what was, what did that magnet on your refrigerator say, Renee? Oh, home is where your story begins. Yeah. And how this is just, this is the beginning of the story for our kids. Like this is the narrative that our family is writing. Some of it comes intentionally, but some of it just happens. And maybe that's like the fun part, but what kind of, like, what kind of story should we tell? Renee, you had some ideas we were kind of throwing around, like what ideas yeah, do you so have of stories to tell? I think if, if you're a person who doesn't think of yourself naturally as a storyteller, or, um, you know, if this idea is new to you and you might think, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't, I don't, we don't do family stories. That's not something we do. How could I start this? And so I was kind of thinking, well, um, I would, I would divide it into three categories and ask yourself, think about people, places, and things. Um, who are the important people in your family? Um, who, who do your kids need to get to know? And uh, besides the people that they're living within these four walls with, um, do you have some relatives that have interesting stories and maybe your kids don't know about, um, or maybe they do know about, and they just need to hear the stories over again. So think about people. Who are the, you know, the people you can tell stories about? Think about places and how your family has connected to different places. Um, Why do you live where you live? Um, What were the circumstances that brought you to this particular neighborhood or city? Um, Where did your family come from? You know, is there, are there, are there other places in the country or in the world that your family is part of or has originated from? And there's maybe a story that is associated with that. Um, And then, Things, you know, we all have things in our homes or, or maybe things that are special to us that they might have a story behind them. We have, um, for an example, uh, there's a christening gown that my brothers and I wore and my kids wore and uh, their kids wore. And it was made from my, my great grandmother's wedding dress that believe it or not, because she eloped and never got to wear the dress. <laughs> That's another story. Um, but one of her daughters, when she was grown, turned this beautiful lace wedding dress into a little baby's christening gown. And so, you know, we tell the story of that particular article of clothing. 
But maybe you have a special, you know, bowl that you bake cookies and stir up the dough in and it belonged to your grandmother. Or, or maybe there's something in your father's garage or tool shed that has a memory attached to it. So you can just think about things as a way of kind of sparking a story behind it. And those can sometimes give us ideas and, and give us jumping off points. Um, beyond that, I mean, to be, to be a good storyteller, think about what makes you want to read a good story. Um, you have to know who the characters are. You have to know what, where, the, where the story is taking place. And usually if it's got a little bit of conflict, that's going to add to the plot, right? So if you can find a way to work a little bit of conflict into your storytelling, that always adds a little bit of excitement too. So, you know, the idea that um, maybe there was a decision that you wrestled with in relation to this place, or, or maybe there was a surprise ending when God brought you from point A to point B, that's all part of the story. And, and as we tell them over and over, we get better at it. And our kids tell the stories over and over and they'll add their own twist to it and, and different things. So the stories kind of evolve, which is fun too. That's fun to watch. But yeah, I would just say, um, just start asking questions when you look around you and, and see what stories kind of bubble up out of that. And looking for stories, if you look for them, they're there. And I love that idea of things and celebrating the story, like the history of things, like the christening gown, like that's a beautiful story. Um, and it actually does make me curious about the elopement. So I'll just have to ask you later on that one. But it could be a mundane thing that all of a sudden, and kids are so funny about that. It all of a sudden takes on a deep meaning, whether it's, you know, how many of us have a special plate that we use at birthdays only. And then, I mean, your kids will hold to that. You guys all know this story, whatever. I mean, maybe it's a plate, maybe it's a mug, maybe it's the thing we do every birthday or the thing we do every Christmas. And if you do not do it, they will tell you. Because that is... That's their, that's their cultural memory. That's their heritage. That is their, they, that's their identity in these small things and learning to celebrate it if you look for it. And I love your thought on storytelling. Just practice it. Practice the story of how you and your husband met. That one comes up in dinner conversations all the time. So you should practice that one anyway. Karen, do you have any ideas to add to that of what kind of stories to tell? Well, I, I have found it useful to um, sometimes use my journal because I've kept a journal since David was a baby. And so there have been many questions that I've been able to answer um, the details of with my journal. Or I remember one time um, one of my children was having a difficult day with his or her own child. And I just took a screenshot of my journal and sent it to that child and said, well, look, this was this was you. So, you know, and, and so that's a, just a lighthearted, funny way of saying, you know, you have this in your story too, not just your child. Um, but, but I also have found that to, to um, keep a journal of, of my story and my family's story um, helps remind me of God's faithfulness over the years so that when hard days come up, I can, I can, and I'm writing about them. I can remember, oh, I remember this years ago and I can look back and see how those things were answered. And I also find that keeping a journal has helped me be able to relate to um, my children who are now young parents. When I look back at the hard days when I was a young parent, because sometimes as a grandma, you know, older, I can think, oh, 
you know, it's, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. What you're dealing with is minor. But then when I read back in my journal and how, how hard my hard days were, I am right back there. And I'm reminded those are hard days. Those are some hard days when you have a house full of toddlers. So it helps me to remember, helps me to remember my story so that I can be more sympathetic to my children and their current story. So that's really helpful to me. So it is easy to forget, especially us moms who have like mom brain fog or whatever it is. It's easy to forget the things that happen. So keeping a journal is a wonderful way to remind ourselves. Are there, do you have any other ideas of other ways to keep record of stories? Of course. And Emily, I have been in your house and I've seen all of your little white shutterfly chapbooks. So yeah, you should talk about your chapbooks because that's such a great gift to your family to have taken the time to do that. Because in when my kids were growing up, we did photo albums and my youngest child, I don't even think he made it into a photo album. I think his photos are still in a shoebox, but you have done those beautiful books for your kids. Well, I, I'm going to have to, you know, throw, throw like the truth of it out here is that I never was a photo album person. I just couldn't ever get it together for some reason. So some of you may do chat books and you actually just connect it to your Instagram account. And every time you get 60 pictures on there, they mail you a book. So it's actually pretty simple. And it's been a a really remarkable way for us just to keep up on memories um, and those stories. And now we have, I don't know, 20, 30 of these little chat books and my kids will just sit there and just thumb through those. Um, In fact, they even love to do that at their grandparents' house with albums of when I was a child or their dad was a child. They love looking through that and like, oh, that's aunt so-and-so and and uncle, whatever. Um, And there's something about those images that connects families together. Those photos do. And then Renee, you had mentioned earlier, even asking stories of relatives. I don't know if you want to speak to that. Yeah, I would just encourage you when, when you have those opportunities and you're around people that maybe you're not all the, always around, maybe you're visiting grandparents or aunts and uncles or even cousins, um, to find some time to tell some stories. Um, because, of course, these dear people are not going to be with us forever. And we need to make it an, a priority and make an effort to listen to their stories. Maybe you can even record them or set up a little video um, and just ask them about their childhood or what it was like to go to school, just so you can hear and start learning those and your kids can start learning from from them while they're while they still can. So they're around. We just have to pursue them. And the other I guess the other good that comes of this of asking relatives for their story is it does communicate to your children the dignity of an older generation that their story is important and that it matters and we do live in I was going to say we live in a generation every generation has been like this that maybe their grandparents and great-grandparents stories or they're like what they actually were a kid once how could that be haven't they always been like 80 years old and just sitting around and sharing those stories emphasizes the respect and honor and dignity and a grateful heart that we should have for those who have faithfully gone before us. Um, but what if, <laughs> what if they didn't faithfully go on before us? Like, what if there's like a hard story? 
What if your own story has its hard parts, whether from your past or you're in the middle of hard right now? Like we all walk through dark days and the valley of the shadow. I think that you have to be determined to, to first of all, be able to tell the story to yourself and acknowledge that, not acknowledge it and that it is hard and write it down and pray over it and tell that story to the few around you that can bear the story with you. And then as your children get older, um, you choose the, if, if it's not something that they're aware of already, you choose the right time and the right place in their lives to be able to share that with them so that they can, they can see God's faithfulness and, or understand it in a deeper way. But I, I don't think that we should be sweeping hard things under the rug because it's as much a part of us as the good, joyous times, the easy times are. It's just that we have to be careful sometimes how to tell our children the hard things and just be careful to choose the right time, knowing our kids and knowing the story. I would agree. Um there's always a, a re, we we hope we can point out the redemptive aspect or or the way that God meant this for good. Um, sometimes that's not possible. The story's not over yet, um, but it's still important as is appropriate to I think talk to our kids about it and help help them to process what you know what is going on. And I think it's a mark of maturity as we grow. You know, not that I'm there yet, but you know. Can we be in the middle of something hard and say, Lord, show me how to grow through this. Show me how to love you more through this, not just, Lord, take this away. And so in that sense, learning to tell those stories to our kids can be a, a very, um, it, it can be a learning experience. It, 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 stories can be used to teach us, to help us grow, not just, you know, not just for entertainment, not just for identity, but the stories can really be a tool, I think, that the Lord and the Holy Spirit uses to grow us up in our faith. And the purpose of a good story is to remember who we are and why we are here. And I can recall this um, happening in my early 20s. Um, my mom shared a story from her own life. Um, that was a hard story. And it was so formational to me because she shared it not out of um, commiseration or look how hard my life is. It was remember who you are and why you are here. Learn from this, grow, remember God's faithfulness. Um, and I will never forget her sharing that story. And a, and a similar thing happened, me sharing a story with my own kids with that hope of remember who you are, remember why you are here. You are here to do good. You are here to be wise. You are here to be like Jesus. And actually it's just, part of our, this has just become part of our family story. Whenever I leave my kids home um, and I'm walking out the door, I just have this line that's just become part of our family story. I say, all right, be wise, be kind, love Jesus, and may the peace of Christ be with you. And now my kids just finish it for me as we walk out the door. I was like, be wise. They're like, we know, be kind, love Jesus. I was like, and may the peace of Christ be with you. But that's creating a narrative in the good, in the hard, um, to connect our own family for the sake of being like Jesus, remembering who we are and why we are here. And I'll just finish with these words from Lamentations that says, 
this I recall to mind, this I remember, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And as Karen mentioned earlier, we share a family identity in these family stories and this cultural memory for the sake of hope so that we hope in him that we will dwell in the land because he is faithful. So ladies, we're going to wrap up for now. And yes, may the peace of Christ be wise, be kind, love Jesus, and may the peace of Christ be with you. All right, here's to home. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.